Welcome to the August 26, 2018 edition of the BitcoinNews.com daily radio show. I am your host, Space Marine. We cover the biggest topics in blockchain, Bitcoin, and cryptocurrency every single day. You could count on us being here. And as always, go to BitcoinNews.com for even more news, the full spectrum of Bitcoin, blockchain, and cryptocurrency news. Right now, the Bitcoin price is sitting at $6,700. It's been on a general uptrend the past about four to five days. It went as low as 62.50 after nine Bitcoin exchange traded funds were rejected by the SEC, Securities and Exchange Commission of the United States. But then they stayed their decision on at least five of them, the directly on Bitcoin ETFs. And that caused the market to start moving upwards and it hasn't really stopped moving upwards. It's a bit steady right now. The past two days, it's been about steady at 6,700. It went as high as $6,800 two days ago. So right now it's sitting slightly over 6,700. And this is a... $900 above its $5,800 support level. I wrote an article about this, and we talked about this on a past show. Basically, Bitcoin's tested the $5,800 level three to four times now. It's about a range of like $5,800 to $6,500. It's refracted off of that level four times now during the year, and that seems to be a very solid support level. So whenever Bitcoin's near that level, that's an excellent time to buy because it doesn't seem like it's breaking downwards through that level. If it does, that would be a major shift in the market. But that seems like a solid support. And right now we're still within about $1,000 of that bottom support level. So maybe this isn't the best time. Maybe it could go back down to 5800 But who knows? In the long term, people are saying Bitcoins can go up to $20,000 before the end of 2018. And I agree with them. Everything's in place. There's tons of crypto hedge funds, tons of Bitcoin ATMs. All those infrastructure's in place. So when the next rally starts, there's going to be a lot of potential for people to buy up lots of Bitcoin quickly. There's also the cryptocurrency exchanges like Coinbase and Square Cash and all these other crypto exchanges across the world. There's tons of infrastructure in place. Like if there's a rally that's going to begin at all, like if it goes up another thousand from here, it could easily keep rallying. Now that this ETF stuff's off the table, yeah, they stayed the decision, but it's not going to affect the market for a while. So there's nothing to stop the market from rallying. Like in the past, recently, Bitcoin went up to $8,500, and it was actually because of speculation the ETF might be approved. And then the ETFs were rejected, and that just stopped the rally. This time if a rally starts, nothing will stop it. That's foreseeable, at least. Of course, there always could be something, but I don't even know what it would be. It's quite possible that if Bitcoin starts going up again, like I'm saying, there's all this infrastructure, and Bitcoin will go up faster than we can imagine, and it'll go up to 20000 some people are saying, by the end of the year. Now for our first story. The CEO of 50 Cycles, Scott Snape, and 50 Cycles is a program in the United Kingdom, the UK, where someone could ride their bicycle and earn tokens that are worth about 20 Great Britain pounds for a thousand miles of biking. So that's actually a pretty good deal. Maybe someone could even like live off that if they just lived on their bicycle and they just needed some money for food. They go to the Bitcoin ATM. To get to the point of the story, yeah, 50 Cycles is a great concept, but the owner, CEO, Scott Snape, was doing some small deals. Five figures, he says. So maybe that's like 10,000 Great Britain pounds or $10,000. I think the GBP's like double the dollar, maybe more. Regardless, it might have been like two to three Bitcoins or maybe a little more than that, maybe up to 10 Bitcoins. And he was doing some five-figure deals on local Bitcoins through his personal accounts with Barclays and HSBC, which are like the big banks in the UK. And even though he used his personal accounts, his personal accounts were shut down and also a connected business account. And apparently that business account was where they had all their money because he wasn't able to pay his employees anymore. One of them was having a pregnancy like he was the father and he just had a kid. So he had to work and he had to leave the company. The whole company was thrown into a turmoil. And the main point of this story is that banks are very anti-Bitcoin. 
he was doing small deals on local bitcoins. He had a cryptocurrency business. I guess some people could say, hey, he didn't use his business account for these business deals. He says it was for business, apparently. And he says it's above board, but he used his personal accounts for this business. But that's not the reason the bank shut it down. It's quite common as Bitcoin dealers don't even just Bitcoin traders. If you use any bank account, even a business account for Bitcoin trading, and you accept like a cash deposit through like a local Bitcoin situation, that could cause the account to get shut down. And if it doesn't happen the first time, within about $100,000 and certainly by a million dollars of cash deposits, the account will be shut down. Bitcoin users across the world know this. They know that you'll lose every bank account over time, even if you have a business account. Like one of my co-associates, I don't know what to call him. I used to be a Bitcoin dealer and he ran an exchange. I'm going to leave his name out of this. He had a really legitimate operation. He had lawyers, he had all the licensing, he did everything above board, and he lost all of his bank accounts. And then he lost the last bank account he had and he had to go out of business. So banks are very anti-Bitcoin and the way banks work, they can shut down your bank account and they don't have to give you a reason as to why they're doing it. And they shut down Bitcoin bank accounts all the time. If, you have, if you're unlucky enough to have money in there like he does, they'll keep it for a long time. They might release it to him a while from now, but if there's money in it, they could also just take it for some reason give it to the government or something or keep it for themselves. It's all up to them. It's, this is in the terms of service when you sign up for a bank account generally that they could seize it and they don't have to give you a reason. So they haven't given a reason. The reasons supposedly in general are to protect the economy and the customer by like preventing money laundering. Even though 50 cycles is obviously not money laundering. So he asked for a reason, they didn't give it to him, so he went to the government and filed an appeal. Nothing has happened yet, so his business is kind of screwed. Fitzy Cycles had a lot of potential, but now all their money's locked up in a bank account. This just shows one of the great benefits of Bitcoin. Bitcoin's decentralized. It cannot be frozen. You can have a billion dollars in your Bitcoin account, and if you properly secure it, there's no way anyone could take it. And certainly, Bitcoin doesn't have any protocol for seizing funds or stealing funds like a bank can do. So this is just one more reason to use pure Bitcoin and try to avoid banks. But the problem is, when you're running a business in this world, at least right now, you need to somehow connect it to fiat, usually. Some businesses get by without connecting to fiat at all. They could pay their employees with Bitcoin, and then the employees can handle turning into fiat. Apparently, the CEO is trying to turn it into fiat himself. And yeah, there's always that connection of connecting the fiat to the Bitcoin, and that's where the banks get you. So people that hear this story should know in general... That you got to be careful with the banks and Bitcoin. Be very careful accepting cash deposits. That used to be more popular in the past, but now, since less people are doing it, they're cracking down on like everyone that does it, even if it's like a few times. He says he did this in one day. Like he's, It doesn't sound like he was doing much cash deposits for Bitcoin before this. He might have just done this for one day, and then he lost his accounts, and his business is messed up. Now for our next story. Funstrat's Thomas Lee, and this is Funstrat Global Advisors. Thomas Lee went on CNBC. They always talk about Bitcoin on CNBC. They have a little segment. They actually have some interesting news coming out from time to time. He says, first off, Bitcoin's going to hit $20,000 by the end of the year. But also, he noticed a really strong correlation in the MSCI Emerging Markets Index. And the MSCI Emerging Markets Index is 23 countries like Brazil, Chile, China, Colombia. I could go through the whole list, but it's like emerging countries. Even Russia's on there, apparently. And these countries are more volatile, like you can get more rewards. There's also more potential for losses. It's kind of like Bitcoin. There's more volatility. He noticed that this index of these stock markets for these countries, the MSCI, was strongly correlated with the Bitcoin market. I went through the data myself from the Bitstamp data, which goes back pretty far to like at least 2011. The f it's probably one of the farthest running Bitcoin exchange data on Bitstamp. And I use Bitcoin wisdom for that. So the MSCI 
definitely correlates with the Bitcoin market price. And there was one exception. When Bitcoin went up to $1,000 the first time in like 2013, there wasn't a correlation. But literally, like all the other times, there was a correlation. Like recently, for example, during 2017, when the whole crypto and Bitcoin markets were running up, the MSCI was running up. And then at the exact same time in like the beginning of 2018, they hit their peak, the MSCI and the Bitcoin price, and now they've been going down. And Thomas Lee gave a couple of theories for why they're connected. He says there's causation. Basically, hedge funds invest in the MSCI when there's more risk in the mainstream assets, like the mainstream stocks like Apple and Google and the mainstream other commodities, whatever they invest in that's mainstream and safer. If there's more risk in those, they'll expand into MSCI and Bitcoin and cryptocurrency simultaneously because Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and the MSCI fall into a higher risk class. So when they're willing to go for a higher risk investment, they'll go into both of them at the same time. So hedge funds are affecting both the MSCI and apparently the Bitcoin price. Apparently, if this theory is right, I'm not 100% sure if that's right, but there's probably an effect. And then there's also the wealth effect that Thomas Lee mentions. Basically, these emerging markets are some of the biggest investors in Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. And when their stock markets crash, like when the MSCI goes down, that means their stock markets are crashing. They don't have any extra money for Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. So it's an interesting theory for causation, and the correlation is definitely strong. So the MSCI Emerging Markets Index is something to watch. If it starts going up, maybe that's a sign Bitcoin would go up too. I'm not sure if there's any lag or leading or if it just happens at the same time. But it's definitely a parameter to watch because there's such a strong correlation with Bitcoin. On to our next story. A person on Twitter, Yasin Almanjra, I hope I pronounced that right, posted some interesting charts showing Bitcoin's transaction volume relative to PayPal, Discover, MasterCard, UnionPay, and Visa. And he says Bitcoin has surpassed PayPal. I had fact-checked this. And he also showed Bitcoin's past Discover, which is a major credit card, but like one of the lesser credit cards, but it's still major. So I went through and actually found the statistics from Discover, PayPal, Visa, and compared it to the statistics I could find for Bitcoin. And Bitcoin has certainly passed Discover's transaction volume. Discover has a transaction volume of $145.2 billion per year right now, based on their quarterly $36.3 billion. And meanwhile, Bitcoin's about $182.5 billion per year transaction volume. And that's a conservative estimate. Basically, what I did was I looked at the most recent period of time and bitcoin's been going up to like a billion dollars in transaction value per day and going as low as like 300 million recently all summer summer 2018 so i said okay that's like an average of 500 million dollars a day being really conservative so even with the conservative estimate bitcoin has like 40 billion dollars more transaction volume per year than discover and by the way this is all quite recent before 2017 bitcoin's transaction volume was 100 million and then even less before that so only recently has Bitcoin gone up to like having more than $100 million of volume and now it's like $500 million on average. And that's in this bear market after the crash. Before the crash at the peak of the market, it hit $5 billion per day and even more, maybe like $6 billion on the best day. And it was averaging $4 billion per day for a month. And during that time, it did exceed PayPal's transaction volume. But in general, PayPal has a transaction volume of $1.5 billion per day based on their quarterly earnings most recent of 139.4. Well, these aren't earnings. These are transaction volumes. So their most recent transaction volume of $139.4 billion per quarter translates to $1.5 billion per day for PayPal. So yeah, for like a month for maybe two months total, Bitcoin was above that, but now it's sunk below that. So what this guy on Twitter says isn't exactly correct. 
But it depends on how you um, average it in. Like, if you average it in the beginning of the year and parts of 2017 when Bitcoin transaction volume was way higher with right now, maybe Bitcoin is on par with PayPal if you average all that together. But right now in Bitcoin's steady state in the bear market, it's definitely way below PayPal's transaction volume. But the real thing to think about is next time Bitcoin rallies, it's definitely poised to overtake PayPal again and maybe forever. So that's huge news. And I bet a lot of people in the cryptocurrency world will be happy about that because PayPal's had a lot of animosity with the crypto world. PayPal's reversed so many crypto trades and caused so many chargebacks and caused so many people a lot of pain, including me. So people will be happy to see that Bitcoin's overtaking PayPal or at least close to overtaking it. And it has overtaken it definitely for like a month or two and it's poised to do it again. And Yasin Amandra also concluded that Bitcoin's way behind Visa and MasterCard and China's Union Pay. And China's Union Pay actually has more volume than Visa. And Bitcoin's behind all three of those, the big ones. Those are the major, major credit card services. It would probably take another order of magnitude increase for Bitcoin to rival Visa. And that might happen. Bitcoin's been going up an order of magnitude on average every two to three years. Probably like three years now is the average. So we'll see if that continues, and then maybe one day Bitcoin will overtake Visa. That would be tremendous news, but that hasn't happened yet. That's just speculation. To sum up, Bitcoin has more transaction volume per day than Discover, and also it briefly had more than PayPal, and it's poised to do that again. Now for our next story. The Bitcoin block halving has always been quite interesting for me. Essentially, the way Bitcoin achieves a fixed total supply of 21 million coins plus has mining, because every coin has to be mined, but there's only going to be 21 million coins. They basically have a half-life for Bitcoin mining. Like, there's 50 blocks mined in the Genesis block, and then the first 200 to 10,000 blocks, you get 50 Bitcoins reward for each block if you're the miner. And how this works is mining, you solve cryptographic hashes and group transactions into blocks. And if you solve all the hashes and get the transactions into a block yourself, you get the whole mining reward. Nowadays, people have to join up into pools, and there's tons of people in the pool. So people get like a small fraction of a money reward in the pool. It's very rare. I'm sure some people have a farm big enough to mine entire Bitcoins, but it's really rare nowadays. But back in the day, when Bitcoin just started, especially Satoshi Nakamoto himself was mining 50 Bitcoins at a time every time he got a block. That's rare. Regardless, the block rewards drops by half every 210,000 blocks, and this is roughly every four years. It's a bit less than four years. If Bitcoin's average block time was... 10 minutes like it's programmed to be it would be almost four years actually a little less but since the bitcoin hash rate has been increasing so much that that causes the time between block halvings to be less than four years because basically the difficulty for bitcoin mining adjusts every two weeks to re-establish that 10 minute block time let's say the hash rate goes up blocks are going to start coming at less than 10 minute intervals i believe craig wright did the calculations on this i read this today he says the average is 9.3 minutes throughout Bitcoin's lifespan, even though it's programmed to be 10 minutes. So less than every four years, the blocks have, and that's because the hash rate's increasing. If the hash rate was steady, it would be every four years exactly. And so it halved to 25, and then it halved to 12 and a half. It halved to 25 in 2012 on November 28th, when 210,000 was reached. And then it halved again on July 9th, 2016, about four years later. To 12 and a half bitcoins per block and that's where we're sitting now and because bitcoin's price has been going up so quick even though the block board's been having miners are earning more than ever right now miners getting like eighty thousand dollars a block i believe a little more than that eighty four thousand dollars per block of course they have to share that in the pool 
But miners are getting more than ever, and this kind of indicates what the trend might be. If Bitcoin's price keeps going up long-term like it is, even if the block halvings get to the point where there's zero reward per block, there's still going to be transaction fees, and if the price of Bitcoin's high enough, those transaction fees might be worth mining for because the price of Bitcoin's going up so much long-term. So that's how it's been so far. Right now, we're over halfway till the next block halving. The next one's on track to be in April or May 2020, depending on the increase in the hash rate. Like if, for example, if Bitcoin's hash rate decelerates, which is unlikely or goes down, then the halving would take longer to get to. And if it goes up faster, it'll take shorter to get to. But it's April or May 2020, and then we'll be at 6.25 Bitcoins per block. I bet by then Bitcoin will be worth so much. That'll be a lot more than the miners get now. And then after that, it's another four years. So basically, we're talking 2020, then 2024, then 2028, 2032, 2036, 2040, depending on how fast the hash rate goes up because the hash rate increase acceleration affects the time till the block having. And then I went ahead and calculated how long is it going to take until there's no block reward. And I, I believe this is going to be the 33rd block having since the Genesis block, 33, because theoretically it would go on forever, but the smallest unit of a Bitcoin is one Satoshi. And this is like point zero 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 like seven zeros. And a one, that's one Satoshi. And at the 33 block having, it's going to go less than one Satoshi. And I believe it'll just go straight to zero after that. I don't think there's any rounding. If there is rounding, maybe it'll take to the 34th block having. So basically, there's going to be no block rewards. 132 years after the genesis of Bitcoin, which is the year 2141. Maybe the year 2145. And of course, that might be some years off. Like It might be like 2135 or something. I don't know. Maybe not that much. But like it might be a year or two off. Because of the increase in the hash rate causes the blocks to be mined in a shorter period of time than the average of 10 minutes. So in general, Bitcoin block having is very important to know about if you're a miner because it's one of the parameters that affects mining profitability. Long term though, Bitcoin's price has been far exceeding the loss from the block having, so that's been making up for it. But it's good to know about the block having and be aware of how it works in the time frame for it. Now for our final story. Ethereum's developers are instituting a hard fork soon called Constantinople. And Constantinople is the name of the capital of the Eastern Roman Empire, and that was a fractured piece of the Roman Empire that hung on longer than the rest of the Roman Empire. And this is ironic, like I'm about to get into. But the biggest thing they've decided, they had a conference call on August 24th, and they decided they're going to fork Ethereum, have a hard fork every eight months. That means they change Ethereum's protocol so much they have to like change the code and launch a new version. And then everyone has to go to their new chain if they want to. We're going to talk about this. Uh, some people are saying every six months would be appropriate for a fork, but they're saying that's too much stress and somehow eight months is better. And just to put this in perspective, Bitcoin has no forks ever on purpose, at least. Like, there's no fork schedule. If Bitcoin developers would be like, hey, we're having a fork schedule, they'd probably get, like, a coup d'etat on their hands and they wouldn't be the developers anymore. Bitcoin avoids forks as much as possible. The code is the code. And if they have to change it in an emergency, like once someone created 184.4 billion Bitcoins, I believe in the value overflow incident, and they had to fork Bitcoin to get rid of those fake Bitcoins or Bitcoin would have been destroyed. So yeah, they forked Bitcoin in absolute emergencies, but there's really not many cases of that in the past. So Bitcoin was avoiding forks. Meanwhile, Ethereum saying we're going to have consistent, constant forks every eight months. And they're actually able, every time a hard fork happens, they could change the block reward, they could change the total supply of the coins, they could change the time it takes per block, and all these important parameters that affect the economics of Ethereum, not to mention the actual code affecting the dApps, 
and their smart contracts, they could change all that too. But just talk about the economic parameters. And here's an example from the conference call. They, they're undecided if they're going to have one Ether, two Ether, or three Ether for the block rewards when the Constantinople fork comes. And they're leaving it up to the community. I think this is a recipe for a war. The Bitcoin, or not, the Ethereum miners are going to be saying, hey, we want three Ethereum per block. And then the Ethereum investors are going to be like, no, we want one Ethereum per block or zero Ethereum per block. Get rid of the miners, something like that. I think the miners and the investors for Ethereum are going to fight each other big time before this fork. And that's the recipe for an Ethereum split. There's already been one Ethereum split. There's Ethereum Classic, which is like a low-level major cryptocurrency, but it's, not, it's nothing compared to Ethereum. But this could create a recipe and a situation for more Ethereum splits. And then every eight months, there's probably going to be more debates. Because when you hard fork Ethereum, there's going to be people that disagree with it. Like, for example, with Bitcoin, there's like small changes in the code cause big battles. A fork's like a very serious change. And they're going to have this every eight months and cause divisions in the community. There's probably going to be a new split off of Ethereum every eight months. Like, some of the community will be like, no, we're staying behind on the old one. And new versions of Ethereum will be forming. And this is why it's ironic. I said this in the beginning of the segment. Constantinople was the capital of a fractured piece of the Roman Empire. And they're calling this first fork. I don't know if it's the first fork. I don't think it is. But they're calling this fork Constantinople. And it has the potential to fracture the Ethereum Empire. So it's quite appropriate. Maybe that's their prophecy and they don't even know it. And even in the best case scenario, if the entire community agreed with each fork, like everyone's just in agreement, there's no fighting... There's still going to be people that just don't keep up to date on the news about this, and they're going to be on the old chain. And that could cause situations where people lose money, like widespread situations where people across the Ethereum network are losing money because they're on the old chain sending Ethereum to the new chain, or vice versa, and they're just losing money. Because the chains are going to be out of sync, it's going to be like a bad situation. Forks should be reserved for absolute emergencies, and they honestly should never happen. Bitcoin's really good because everything about Bitcoin, the economic characteristics of it with the fixed supply the block time the block reward that's not changing ethereum's like okay yeah we don't even know what the block reward's going to be when we do this fork so investors of ethereum are probably scared ethereum's already taken a huge hit it's down to like 280 it's gone as low as like 250 probably recently and it was a lot lot higher it was over a thousand during the rally like 1700 i think and now its market cap's less than 30 billion and now they're saying they're going to fork it every eight months the one good thing about forking is it's going to allow Ethereum to evolve faster, perhaps, than a cryptocurrency that's not forked like Bitcoin because it allows them to add new code and better code. But maybe it's not broke. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. I'm just trying to say something positive, maybe I'm trying to be like both sides of the issue here. I think in general, though, forks are just like always contentious and there's lots of potential for Ethereum to split and split and split until it's not even a major cryptocurrency anymore with this sort of attitude. I don't think it's a good idea. But everyone thinks they have great ideas and they need to change Ethereum out of these devs. There's like tons of Ethereum devs. I think CNBC once made a joke there's like a thousand of them or something. There might be. So all these devs are like, oh, I want to put in my version. I want to put in my version. So they're like, okay, we're going to have forks all the time. So then everyone can put in their version at once. And, or over time at least. So we'll see how that goes. If I was an Ethereum investor, I wouldn't feel so good right now knowing that the entire makeup of the coin could be totally changed. Not to mention that we already talked about this on the past. Our DApps are declining rapidly. Like the DApps that have been popular lost all their popularity. The CryptoKitties is like barely being used right now. The decentralized exchanges on Ethereum are barely being used and they're losing all their users persistently and constantly. 
And the biggest apps on Ethereum are like scams, like FOMO 3D. They're having like exit scam apps that are exceeding all the other apps. So we'll see how Ethereum goes. As usual, Bitcoin is the number one. It's the most pure cryptocurrency. It has the most use, the most liquidity. Its market cap's $115 billion. By far the biggest crypto, by far the most respected, the most popular, the longest lasting crypto. So, like Charlie Lee of Litecoin said, he's the founder of Litecoin. He says, don't even buy Litecoin. Buy Bitcoin. Buy a whole Bitcoin before you buy anything else. I agree with that, especially with these alternative cryptocurrencies. That they don't even know what they're going to be next year. Like, Ethereum's like the second biggest crypto. They don't even know what their coin's going to be next year. Like, they call it Ethereum, but it's going to be something different. So that's all we have for you today on this August 26, 2018 edition of the BitcoinNews.com daily radio show. I hope you found it educational. And if you want to be an expert in the field, go to BitcoinNews.com and read it 24-7. You'll be an expert in Bitcoin, blockchain, and cryptocurrency in no time. We'll be back tomorrow. This is Space Marine signing out, going back through the wormhole. <laughs>